All right, Ms. Kimberly. All right, thank you very much, Sandy. Thank you for everybody doing service in this workshop. And thank you for the 40 people who are here on time and uh, are hopefully going to get the full benefit of our uh, workshop here. The topic of this panel is steps six and seven. I'm Kimberly. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm the moderator for this session. Our speakers are Don and Aaron. This session is being interpreted simultaneously. If you prefer to listen in French, please click the globe symbol, the interpretation symbol, and choose French. Closed captioning is available in English. <clears throat> Just click on live transcription. Let's open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This session features two speakers who will have up to 20 minutes each. After that, the attendees will be able to ask questions of the speakers. You will ask questions by putting them in the Q&A function uh, and we'll explain that a little bit later. The audio from this session is being <clears throat> recorded and will not be edited. By speaking at this workshop, you give permission to be recorded. Please note that this session will be available online or as a podcast feed. As you have noted, a webinar is view only. You cannot see other attendees, but you can see all of the panelists. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the people on the panel. Attendees are automatically muted. Please use the question and action, action, question and answer function to ask the panelists a question, and we will at, read those questions uh, after they speak. And please use the chat for supportive comments. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend, including by refraining from screen capturing or audio recording. Uh, Aaron and Don, I just want to let you know that your timer will signal you when you have five minutes left and when time has elapsed. Remember, you are being interpreted, so please speak slowly. Our first speaker today is Don. Don? Thanks, Kimberly. Hi, everybody. My name is Don. Uh, I'm from the state of Connecticut in the U.S., I've been in OA uh, 40 years, actually it'll be 41 come January, 38 years abstinent, uh, maintaining about 185 pound weight loss below my highest weight for about three decades now. OA saved my life, literally. I was suicidal when I came. OA gave me a new and a meaningful life, and it continues to give me a productive and useful life. I came to the program grossly obese, suicidal, and an atheist. I'm not any of those things anymore, and I'm grateful to OA for showing me how to get a second chance at life. Notice I said, showing me how. 
There's been no magic for me. I may have been willpowerless to stop using food as a drug, but I was not helpless. Recovery was and is for me all about taking actions. One of the few right ways of thinking I already had when I came to the program was accepting that there is no free lunch. Work is required. So said another way related to program, freedom isn't free. This is a program where I've learned that I act my way into right thinking, not think my way into right acting. God didn't give me my obsessions and my character defects. I did. He'll help me change. He'll help me displace the wrong ways of thinking with right ways of thinking. But it's up to me to do it. God doesn't fix things. He gives me the courage to take the actions that fix things. Bill says in the AA 12 and 12 on page 47, we thought conditions drove us to drink. And if those conditions were better, we would be fine. No, he goes on, we needed to change ourselves to meet the conditions. And that's the story of six and seven for me. Getting well for me was about changing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I began with detox, step zero, if you like. I identified my trigger foods, put together a plan of eating that excluded those trigger foods, and I put structure into my eating. You know, normal eaters eat spontaneously. They eat when they're hungry and stop when they're full. Those mechanisms do not work for me. My plan was three weighted measured meals a day, uh, no sugar, no refined carbohydrates. Within two or three weeks of starting this plan, my brain totally cleared up. I had not realized that I had been walking around in a food fog for years. I accepted in step one that I had a problem over which my willpower was useless. I had lost weight before, but I'd always gained it back. In step two, on which I spent very little time, <clears throat> I said, I don't know exactly what you people do, but after listening to your stories, I have some hope that maybe there's something here for me. What do I do now? That was my step two. Nor did I spend much time on step three either, thanks to a, a sponsor's wisdom. Being an atheist, I wanted to argue about the whole God angle, but luckily there was an appendix two in the big book that defined spiritual awakening as personality transformation. That I could understand. A lot of other writing in the big book in the AA 12 and 12 reaffirmed that the spiritual angle was totally up to me. Probably the single most important thing, though, that got me moving forward was something that Charlie, my sponsor, said. He said, Don, what does the 12th step say? It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Don, you're only on step three. You're not supposed to understand this whole God stuff yet. Why not just stop arguing about it and trust the process that has worked for thousands before you? So I did. My third step decision was to commit myself commit myself to taking the rest of the steps. So now I got to the real issues. I identified the self-destructive foods in step one. Now I needed to identify the self-destructive thinking that leads to the feelings, that leads to the obsession, that leads to the first bite, which leads to out of control eating. Feelings masquerading as hunger. 
That's addiction. I argued and argued about it. How could I be a food addict? Who ever heard of such a thing? Eventually, I came to realize that if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. I was a duck. I was a food addict. So food was the symptom. Certain foods are mood-altering substances that I consciously or unconsciously used as drugs for escape or comfort, and then I got addicted to the substance. I studied the big book in AA 12 and 12, and I came up with 27 flaws that I thought that I needed to look for in myself in step four. If I had these flaws, I would need to fix them if I wanted to escape the food prison I'd been in for years. So four, five, six, and seven were and are the core of the program for me. I saw quickly that my father had been right about one thing that he had said to me a long time ago. He said, Don, there is no free lunch. That's true. It was in fact up to me to take actions and be accountable for myself. So I finished four and five having clearly identified the real problems. And in six and seven, I defined the solutions. And then I start trying to practice those solutions with my higher power's help. So for me, change is a partnership with God. I'm in charge of actions. God's in charge of results. He'll give me the strength and the courage to practice the new ways of thinking until they define me. In other words, I become a new person. So I act my way into right thinking, not think my way into right acting. The rest of my time, I'm going to talk about some specific defects and, and solutions. Opposites. Think two columns. Think opposites. I'm going to give examples of my wrong ways of thinking and examples of the new ways that I learned in the program and started practicing in six and seven. My willingness to work on this rewiring of my brain was born of the same desperation that brought me to the program, the same desperation that helped me follow that food plan, the same desperation that allowed me to sign that step three contract with my sponsor to work the rest of the steps. Some examples of core thinking problems that I identify. Just some examples. Again, just this is Don, just my experience. Uh, I have five or six here. Self-centeredness, you know, me, me, me. Things should go the way I think they should go. If others would simply think and behave my way, we would all be happy. Since no one follows my script, I'm always frustrated. Anger. The world hasn't behaved as I think it should. It's done me wrong. Resentment. Anger held on to. Replaying the tapes over and over of the hurts and the wrongs. Blaming and self-pity. It's all their fault. I have the wrong everything. I have the wrong spouse, the wrong parents, the wrong kids, the wrong education, the wrong job. Poor me, poor me, poor me. Blaming was very useful to me and that it kept me from looking at my part in things. Fear, fear of what might happen, fear of conflict, fear of criticism, fear of failure, of not good enough, of being old, sick, poor, and alone. I didn't know that most fears are learned and therefore can be unlearned. Phoniness and false pride. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Therefore, I was constantly pretending to be what I thought you needed me to be so you would like me. 
Pride, afraid to dance because I might look silly, afraid to ask for help because I might look weak, afraid to show you who I really am, afraid to open myself, afraid to become vulnerable. Some, a few examples of wrong beliefs that came out of my culture. Uh, five of them, five examples. My worth is dependent on what others think of me. Nonsense. It's dependent upon what I think of me. I need everyone's approval to feel okay. Nonsense. That would mean that everything I do would be based on what I thought others would think. Guess what? That's the way I read my life. Another one, self-sufficiency is a virtue. Asking for help is weakness. Again, nonsense. No man is an island. Another example, I am a prisoner of my past and my culture. I am shaped and trapped in who I am. Nonsense. I can change. And last example, my pain is caused by other people. So I have little ability to control my feelings. Nonsense. I can change how I feel by changing the sentences going through my head. So having identified in four and five, the thinking and the acting flaws at the root of my using food as a drug, I now in six and seven, identify the solutions, the new ways of thinking that will displace, I like the word displace, the ways that don't work. So with my higher powers help, I'm gonna begin rewiring my brain as it was, replacing the self-destructive with constructive and positive ways of thinking. This is the core of Don's recovery. This is the personality transformation that I mentioned from step from appendix two of the big book. That's my new life. There's no magic wand that will tap me on the head and change me. My higher power are in this together. I like to call it a partnership. That's a word that's used in the OA 12 and 12 on page 56 when it's talking about six and seven. God is not going to do what I need to do for myself, but God will give me the courage and willingness to step up and begin practicing these new ways of thinking. That's my role in the partnership. Take the action, practice the new thinking. We know that whatever we practice eventually becomes our new way. So now let me give you some specific examples of the changes that I began in six and seven. Uh, I've got five or six or seven here, something like that. I decided to play adult. It was 41 years old. It was time to grow up and be an adult and start facing and dealing with the realities of life rather than simply complaining, escaping into food, into work. I was a compulsive worker and fantasy and feeling trapped and powerless. You know, the words accept or acceptance appear in the big book 93 times. I either accept what is as unchangeable or I work on changing the things that can be changed, which always comes back to me. I'm the one who can change me. Another one, I began taking responsibility for my thinking and behavior rather than blaming and justifying and playing victim. No more blaming others or circumstances. This was the beginning of some really major changes in my marriage as well as in my workplace. Third example, I began to live a proactive rather than reactive life. Most of my life had been just waiting to, for things to happen and then reacting. Well, no waiting for things to happen. Step up, make things happen. 
Number four, I began to focus on staying in the now rather than projecting into the future. It's so easy to screw up today worrying about what might happen next year. Fifth example, I began to practice courage rather than fear. Remember, I was an atheist. For a long time, it was simply white knuckle courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's doing it anyway. Somebody has said all growth is a step into the darkness. Six, I began trying to do things that would nourish my soul that might somehow bring me closer to a higher power. I began trying to listen for and feel for the quiet voice within that can guide, inspire, strengthen, give me hope, give me peace. Seventh example, I remember that I'm in charge of my feelings. They are not determined by others unless I choose to let that happen. Sure, I can feel anger sometimes at something somebody does. Feel it, give it to higher power, and move on. I stopped my mental master planning, I called it, for the world, and imposing expectations on people and situations. That's the thinking that set me up to always be frustrated because people didn't do things the way I thought they should. Another example, I started letting go of self-sabotaging perfectionism that was driven by fear it was really evident in my workplace. Perfectionism that ensured that I would, I would always feel not good enough. I practiced letting go of selfishness, and this is the big one. There was a gradual shift from how can I get what I want to how can I be useful. Think about what I can put in rather than what I can get out. Number 11, I took off the mask. I came off the stage. I began practicing being- Dawn, five minutes. Being authentic rather than a phony. Always pretending, always seeking, uh, seeking strokes. I was on stage my whole life. 12 example, 12, I began putting a new discipline and structure into my life, starting with the eating, but extending into everything. Discipline and structure were really important part of my getting into recovery and holding on to recovery. I worked on forgiving myself and others for being human and making mistakes rather than trying to live in anger and hatred and shame. Last example, I tried to cultivate a positive and hopeful attitude rather than a negative attitude. My old way was what my mother always said, always expect the worst done and then you'll never be disappointed. And that's what I did. Well, I had to turn that around. One of the affirmations I sometimes say to myself this morning today is just for today, I will look for the good, listen for the good and feel for the good. That's enough examples. Let me just uh, make two more points. You know, I say the seventh step prayer along with serenity prayer, third step prayer, 11th step prayer every morning. Um, I often add at the end of the seventh step prayer, a few things. They differ, differs over time, depending on what's going on in my life. For example, as I struggle with this unfixable chronic pain and disability that has changed my life in the last few years, I often add things to the prayer like this. After that last line, you know, it says, grant me strength as I go out from here to do thy bidding. I say, specifically God, and this is what's in there now. Help me today to have the faith 
that you will keep giving me whatever I need to deal with the pain and disability. Help me to live in acceptance of my age and disability rather than anger and sadness. Help me stay proactive and focused on being useful in OA. And remember that disability is not a character defect. Help me keep writing that gratitude list every day to remind myself of what a miracle these 40 years in OA have been. So I'll close with just saying no magic. From my perspective, there is no magic. There's only slowly developing miracles that happen when I put myself in a position to receive them by trying to live my life according to the principles of the steps, traditions, and tools. Growth and change for me are the slow results of day-to-day -day actions. Sometimes they're physical, like changing my plan of eating or increasing an ex my exercise. Sometimes they might be mental, for example, letting go of the idea that if only certain people were different, everything would be fine. Sometimes it may simply be practicing acceptance and tolerance and accepting responsibility for my life. Sometimes it might be spiritual actions as I do more things that nurture my soul and bring me closer to my higher power. So no magic, only actions and faith, which brings me back to what I said in that first line, freedom is not free. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Don, and thank you so much, Vasilisa. Uh, please join me in welcoming our second speaker, Erin. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Erin, and I am a compulsive overeater and bulimic, and I am also identify as recovered um, in a recovered state of mind and body for today. I don't have a script, but I have some notes and I really appreciate what I heard in, in that qualification. Um, I'm going to do my best to, I think, talk through how I work and worked and continue to work step six and seven. Um, this is a practical program of action. And so I'll try to keep this practical because it's helpful to me. The principles of step six and seven. Six is willingness, which I used to confuse as wantingness and maybe sometimes still do. It's not the same. And step seven, the principle is humility. I came into these rooms thinking the word humility meant humiliation and that I wanted no part with feeling more humiliated than I already felt. And I had to learn, well, I had to pick up a dictionary along with the big book. And uh, as I continued to learn new words in, from the big book, um, I continued to learn them from our principles as well. And learning what humility really was, really is, um, helps me to see it in a very simple light, which is I am no better and I am no worse than anyone else on this planet. Um, so I will say that uh, I have been in the rooms for just over 10 years and uh, abstinent for just over nine and a half years, oh, almost nine and a half years. 
And uh, that just means for me, I haven't hurt myself with food for that amount of time. Um, I have worked the steps one through 12, I think five times, this is my fifth time working the steps. I've also worked the traditions and I've worked them differently through the big book, through the 12 and 12, uh, through some additional resources, um, including from uh, original text from AA. And I just wanna share the process that I kind of took, which kind of shows how um, over these last 10 years, how my recovery and my program of action have evolved. So the first time I took step six and seven with my first sponsor was through the big book. I read both paragraphs and I moved on to step eight. And then the second time I worked the steps, um, it was suggested that I write down a list of character defects, um, shortcomings. I had to also learn that the word the words character defects didn't necessarily mean that I was defective. I know that this is not a moral failure that I have, this disease. It just meant that uh, these things, these defects of character were actually what I relied on to survive. And they kind of kept me alive the way food did until it started killing me until these things, these ways of being, these practices, these beliefs um, started to hurt me instead of help me uh, or save me. Um, and so I wrote down a list of character defects and my sponsor suggested I look in a mirror and say to my higher power, God, I am now willing that you remove from me this defect and name it and then move on to the next one. And then after that, she suggested I get on my knees in her apartment and we um, recite the seven step prayer and that I memorize it. So it was a little more in depth. I was appreciative and I moved on to step eight. I apologize, I didn't mention that I'm a New Yorker. I'm in New York City. We all live in apartments here. Um, and then the third time I worked the steps uh, and I got to step six, it was suggested that I write the, my, a list of defects of character and a list of assets um, while I was you know, writing both. I guess just to keep my head in the positive. And for me, what it helped me to see was the alternative to this um, way of being. And along with that, I would write, you know, and I'll give some examples of some of my, I have a book of character defects here, uh, my book of what I've written. Um, and so something like uh, prideful, you know, maybe the opposite of that would be humility uh, or considerate. And I would kind of go through each character defect and imagine what, what my life would look like if I wasn't engaging in this way, or if I didn't act this way or believe, think this way. And that helped me to see that there was an alternative um, 
and I wouldn't maybe be cast out if I wasn't gossiping at work, or I wouldn't be shunned if I wasn't people pleasing, of which my sponsor refers to people using. And I really appreciate that because I was always trying to get something from someone. Uh, and if I'm people pleasing, I'm trying to get compliments and I would get a high off of compliments the way I would get a high off of some food. Um, and so that was helpful. And then, then the, the last time I uh, worked step six and seven, I wrote a lot in this journal from uh, a list my sponsor provided me that had a, just a list of defects of character, of suggestions. Um, I'm so sorry, this is supposed to be off. And that list, uh, you know, I selected from that list what applied to me. And what I was, it was suggested that I do was um, write the, like look up the definition of the word and then write the root cause, you know, whether that's selfishness, fear, pride, um, and also, that's, or dishonesty, that's the other. Uh, and then how it affects others, how this defective character that I was in affected others and how it affected me through others, not as me as a victim of this defect, but how it affected me through others. Um, and so how other people saw me kind of. And then specific examples when I was in, when I acted out in these character defects, um, ideally more recent examples, and then the opposite, a few words explaining the opposite of this character defect. Uh, this took like a lot of pages. I don't know if this is 50 pages, 60, I don't know. Um, but I went through and really, really dug in all the way and then turned it over to my sponsor over many weeks. Uh, and then uh, step seven, step seven, of course, you know, I've, I've read, oh, the other, one of the other ways I've worked step six and seven was from, with outside literature, uh, there's two books about step six and seven, I won't mention them, but um, the, the one main nugget that I got out of this literature at the end of the book is um, that I won't ever forget is that what we're doing here, this work that we're doing here, especially around six and seven, is we are um, emotionally uh, maturing beyond the need for these character defects. So if I'm like, I'm relying on my higher power now versus relying on these character defects um, to, to keep me safe uh, and when I think about emotionally maturing and spiritually maturing beyond the need for these character defects, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me because of uh, the spiritual growth and the personality change that is talked about throughout the big book. Um, so the 12 and 12 says we often confuse the process and act our way into opposite action, but we're not actually surrendering our will to God. 
And it also says that we kind of have to do this a little bit. We have to, you know, we can't expect it to magically disappear. It doesn't. It's not going to. These defects take sometimes a long time and sometimes they return. For me, they often return, just not as intensely as they used to. And I can recognize them more quickly. Um, and I don't always act out in them, even if I do think a certain way. I don't necessarily say it out loud because of a practice in the rooms of OA, the practice I have in relationship with fellows, with my sponsor and sponsees, helps me to um, learn how to be in integrity in relationships um, and in right relationship with myself. So, but we do have to, in a way, act as if, I have to act as if I am a person who doesn't lie in order to practice telling the truth, being rigorously honest. Sometimes I have to act as if I'm a person who doesn't people please or who is not arrogant um, in order to get in touch with that humility that my higher power gifts me every day that I accept it. Uh, and then that process of humility in step seven, it really changed my mind. I've been able to let go of judgment when I'm not perfect, which is every day. Uh, but when I make mistakes, or even if I have a slip, instead of feeling shame and guilt and remorse, uh, which until pretty recently would kind of bubble to the surface, not in a debilitating way like it used to, but it was definitely rose to the top. And I am realizing now that I've been writing about it and processing it, talking it through with a sponsor and other fellows, praying about it, was what I felt I'm supposed to feel. Now, I know intellectually I'm not, but it's still that it rises to the surface. And so the shame, guilt, remorse, regret, you know, resentment, all of that, all of these defects of character um, that really just kind of trigger some drama, which used to be my lifeblood, drama, any kind of drama. Things aren't going the way I thought they would, so life is dramatic and unmanageable. Somebody might think something of me, so therefore, drama. Um, life isn't like that today. It's really not dramatic at all. And it's big, really big. I'm a person for the, over the last two years, I got engaged, I got married in Africa, I had a baby, I got married again in New York, and we were just about to move to North Carolina, where I would have to leave my career and find a new job. That thankfully has been put on pause for two years, but that's a lot of stuff. And I don't know if I would have survived something like that. Definitely not abstinently before. There was not drama. I can honestly say there was not drama around getting married, having a baby, it wasn't 
peaceful and quiet and perfect. No, there just wasn't drama around it. And in order for there not to be the drama that is these character defects, they they bring up the drama. Uh, I had to be practicing radical acceptance. And practicing means I wasn't always radically accepting the situation. I was practicing accepting it, which means when things would get tough, extra tough, I'd have to remember, first of all, that I'm a compulsive overeater. Second of all, that I have a higher power. Third of all, that I have a program of action. Fourth, that I'm not meant to do this alone. There are fellows. And my job is to work my program. It's my whole job. And so as I would re-remember these things, the drama would be kept at bay because I am one of many. I'm not the worst, I'm not the best. Millions of people over thousands of years have gone through these experiences of what I'm experiencing. And in five minutes. Thank you. That humility is what's helped keep these character defects uh, from taking over. and has helped me remain abstinent. So, you know, as I letting go of this judgment and practicing, just stating the facts with my sponsor, just being more rigorously honest, I can always be more rigorously honest with myself, with my higher power, with my sponsor. I can always clean up my abstinence more and more. I mean, I maybe will always be able to always clean up more (laughs) around my abstinence behaviors. Um, So I, uh, that recent revelation of letting go of the shame and guilt feels, I I feel physically lighter. It it feels like a freedom. It's more of a surrender. And I can always get closer to my higher power. I can always increase my communication with my higher power. So that's what I work towards. Um, So I'm still working towards cleaner abstinence, healthy body weight, a stronger connection to my higher power. That's what I'm constantly working towards for today. But I got to say my worst day, so much better than my best day before the rooms. Um, I realized, you know, that I've heard, I heard in the rooms early on and I didn't understand it, but that relationships are like miracle grow for our character defects. It makes a lot of sense, not just romantic relationships, relationships with people, maybe pets, I don't know, but people for sure. And so it was suggested when I came into the rooms not to date for a year. I didn't like that idea, but I appreciated it. And I can appreciate even more that I'm a different person today than who I was when I came into these rooms and that I had a lot of work to do around these character traits, these shortcomings um, before I was ready to be with another person. I also really had to learn how to love myself in order to learn how to love others truly deeply. And the way I got to practice 
doing that is through these rooms of OA. My relationships with fellows, my practice of intimacy with my sponsor in sharing so deeply, my practice of intimacy in a room of strangers has really helped me to be more and more honest with those I do know and love, like my family of origin, like my close friends and my husband. And so uh, I always, re I realized from the beginning, but it's more and more clear every year that what I practice in these rooms, whether it is being of service, uh, whether it is doing a service responsibility, ho holding a chair position or um, committee chair, all of that really helps me in my career development. It helps me in my um, romantic relationship. It helps me be a better parent um, just because I have practice of interacting, forgiving myself, having compassion for the other person. That compassion piece, I gotta say, every time I ask my higher power, what should I do next, God? I use step three as a simple, God, what should I think about this? God, what should I do about it? That's for me turning over my will and my life. And I almost always hear the suggestion of having compassion for myself, for the other person, for the situation. I don't come to compassion naturally as a compulsive overeater. I need higher power to remind me how to do that. And then uh, it also says in the 12 and 12, we admitted our need for help as we have begun to let go of self-will. I came in the busiest person I knew and always right. And I am today Definitely not the busiest person I know. I have built in a lot more downtime, purposeful downtime. And all I know is I can't do it alone. So I don't even try. And when it starts to feel heavy, my will starts to feel heavy. I get to remember to share it with somebody else, which means picking up the heavy phone and sharing what's going on so I can be processing as I move through this, not alone. And that's time, Erin. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. And uh, thank you also, oh no, France, for your beautiful uh, interpretation. Both of the interpreters sounded so beautiful when I listened. Uh, so uh, welcome everybody uh, to the uh, question and answer section of this workshop. We'll now open the floor, the proverbial floor, I guess, to questions and answers. Please type your question. If possible, please, please, please put your question in the Q&A. We might miss it if you put it in the chat. Uh, and I will read questions to the speakers and they will have up to two minutes each to answer the question. So the first question is in response to something you said, Don. The question is, uh, you said disability is not a character defect. Can you speak more of your journey with acceptance of your disability and how you have in a situation where you need help, not felt less than 
as I, the person who typed the question, has felt. Thank you. And you're on mute, Don. How about now? That's better. Okay. Uh, the answer is no. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Joke. Aaron, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, the uh, it, it, this was not one of those overnight deals. Uh, the uh, my problem, my chronic pain problem, is uh, basically the result of multiple back surgeries, some of which failed and left me in a position with nerves that cannot be fixed. So I have neuropathy, both legs, as well as back pain. So I can no longer stand up straight and I cannot walk. And so all the time I have to ask God, help me not be angry about this. Help me not be sad about this. Help me not forget that I can still be useful, particularly with Zoom, even though I can't go out there and do all the things that I used to do, I can still be useful. And, uh, uh, also, the the other big, oh, whether you call it worry or fear, is I don't want to become a burden in the future to my spouse because my mother was a burden to me, and it took me a long time to get over that. So those worries are there, but I keep asking God to help me with this every day, just as I mentioned in the seven-step prayer. And on, on the uh, shelf behind me, you can't read it, I'm sure, but... It says, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. So that's what this is all about for me, learning to dance in the rain. I have a walker. I can still get out there and do things. I just say, God, help me to do this. I'm not ready to uh, uh, start taking the opiates, which is what the doctors want me to do. I'm not ready to start taking these and scramble my brain and step back from doing all the service. I could still be useful. But I have to affirm this all the time because it's real easy, uh, particularly in the evenings. I get very tired because of the pain going on all day. It's like my body is constantly running too high. That's two minutes, Don. My body starts to wear down. So every night I go through this. So I have to work on it all the time, but I'll keep doing it. Thank you, Don. I got one in chat and it's for Aaron. So... I'll come back to the Q&A. Uh, Aaron, how do you make your sponsees work steps six and seven since your sponsors made you work them in several different ways? Thank you. Hard to hear that word made because nobody made me do anything. <laughs> I know. Well, that is a point that I can't make my sponsees do a thing and I, at this point, don't want to. <laughs> Wasn't always true. Um, yes, I always, uh, it's, it depends on the sponsee. I ask them when we first start working together how they would prefer to work the steps. Some of them have experience working the steps one way, another way. Some of them have worked the steps all different ways and they leave it up to me. Um, and then, and if that's the case, it depends on how I'm working the steps currently with other sponsees and how I'm working them myself. So if it's been a while since I've read the big book with a sponsee, I'll suggest we do it the big book way <laughs> or vice versa on the 12 and 12. Um, and it also, for me, kind of depends on where somebody is in their recovery. So if they, um, 
feel like they're ready, if they seem as though they are ready and willing to do an extensive writing like this, uh, that like that I had recently done, then I would suggest it. It was helpful to me. But if they are just squeaking by doing the what they can do and it would be too much, then I would not suggest that they do something so extensive. Um, and more like writing out their character defects and uh, maybe the assets as well in order to see both sides and talk through it. Thank you, Erin. Mm -hmm. So this one's out of the Q&A for both of you. How can I reconnect with my higher power regularly besides my usual prayers? Who wants to go first? I'll just mention one, one thing first. Remember, I talked about doing things that nourish my soul. And I do the prayers and the meditation every morning, but I also need to sometimes listen to music, uh, get outside in nature. This morning, I watched the sun come up through the magnificent trees in the back, and the trees were all yellow and glowing. That helps me get in touch. Those are kinds of things that, that can really help me. I just have to pay attention and always be open to what's going on out there. Thank you, Don. Aaron? I, uh, I take a very practical approach to this. My higher power is always kind of listening, always available. So I practice. Um, I practice by asking my higher power silly little questions that I could probably answer myself. But uh, like, God, what socks should I wear today? Or God, should I brush my teeth right now? Or, you know, th those kind of questions, the level one questions, so that I could feel comfortable and remember to ask God, what should I have for lunch today? Or, you know, the food questions, which is like level two, and then level three questions, the big stuff. What should I say to my boss about this thing that's really tough or something like that? So it is a practice of communicating with my higher power when I don't necessarily feel like I need to in order to remember to be able to do it when things get tough. Thank you, Aaron. So Don, I have another one uh, from the chat for you. Uh, and that is, uh, how do I work on the opposite of the defects that are in the OA 12 and 12 uh, fourth step. You mentioned working on the solutions. Uh, yeah, uh, that was actually in the, my little speech that I gave, but I cut out because of time, etc. I look at those. You know, there, there are nine things in there, and I put them in 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 two columns as I talked about uh, nine nine defects or problems that it asks us. So, self-centered is the first one. My just generic solution is service, let go of control, let go of my way. There's anger and resentment as the second one. And, and I just say acceptance, learn forgiveness, practice tolerance, no judging. Fear, what's the generic solution? Courage, faith, do it anyway. Pride and false pride, get real, no phoniness, no play acting, be who I am. Uh, negative thinking, look for the good, listen for the good, feel for the good, I mentioned that. Shame. Remember that God loves me. I can love me. I am good enough. I'll work on changing. Guilt, self-forgiveness and amends. Sex, my five, word, four, five words, sex. Unselfish, considerate, 
faithful, open, and honesty. So um, just the generic solutions that I think about when I look at those nine defects that are talked about in the OA 12 and 12. Aaron, anything you want to say on the topic of opposites, practicing the opposites of defects or working on the opposite of defects? I did, I did mention how sometimes I need to act as if uh, in order to get there, but um, I also kind of help myself by setting up reminders or uh, committing to another fellow, you know, today I'm not going to do this thing that I'm, you know, so used to doing, and then have a conversation, a follow-up, and they usually ask, how did it go? Um, which, which tends, I just get in front of the disease in that way. Yeah. Thank you. All right. From the Q&A, how does one get less busy? I am always overcommitted. I'll share what, what I've been working on. Uh, <laughs> I had a former sponsor uh, who really helped me a lot. She had suggested at one point, she said, what would it look like if you cleared your schedule? And I promise you, I cried. I cried at the idea of clearing my schedule because having a very busy full schedule made me feel worthy of existing, I think. And uh, then we started with in my 10th step, daily 10th step, I would write the times that I said no, um, because I was a people pleaser and saying yes all the time. So I was taking on more responsibilities. And every day I would attempt to say no in some way. And then uh, at some point, another sponsor suggested I commit to 10 minutes of downtime me time, just 10 minutes. And that was hard at first. And now I'm at an average of two hours a day of downtime me time. And it's not as hard anymore um, because I've said yes to, to doing and taking on tasks less often. It's a practice. So I want to thank the person who asked that question uh, because I needed the answer. I was feverishly writing down <laughs> answers i am a human doing uh, yeah i'll make a comment on that I, had, yeah. uh, I used to talk about <clears throat> i gotta have a thousand things to do and a very wise sponsor said who made the list and you understand the point right the list was all about me making it because of all that self-importance that was in there all that seeking of strokes all, always looking for you know, accolades whatever so it was all in, in, inside, it was all about not good enough. You know, I've got over that eventually. And so now it's about balance, balance, balance. I make to-do lists all the time and then I prioritize them, you know? And I live by the first things first slogan, important to me, first things first. So I always have too much to do, bring it down, prioritize it and say, you know, is this about really being of service to someone or is this about me feeling good about me? Thank you, Don. And thank you everyone who put questions in the uh, Q&A and in the chat. Uh, I've put uh, Don and Aaron's contact information that they provided in the chat, so you can take it there. And again, I thank both of you 
I think our two marvelous interpreters uh, and everybody that did service here on security, on chat, on uh, timing, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a security position, our host, uh, really appreciate all the service. So why don't we close with the serenity prayer? And if everybody who can would uh, unmute yourself, I would just love to hear that whatever cacophony of serenity prayer we have. Right? God, I grant, grant me the serenity to, to accept the things I cannot change, courage, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom the difference. Your will, I will not find be done. Thank you, everybody. Everybody, great job. Great. Thank job. you, Vasilisa. I'm going to stop interpretation. Thank you so much. Maintenant, arrêtez l'interprétation et la, la traduction. Stop. Mm. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.